here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Good morning, folks. Dylan DeChair here, your assistant captain, according to my co-host Sean Zock, is speaking. I don't know if that's true, but uh, coming to you from Seattle, Sean is coming to us from the Golf Magazine offices in New York, New York. The city's so nice to named it twice, just next to Grand Central Station. Sean, how you doing this Monday morning? It's lonely in here. I don't have any running mates of any sort. It's a ghost town. So, Should we describe to the people kind of like the, the shift here that's happened? If you're one of the tens of thousands of listeners that's just been flooding through the gates these last few months um you might not know that the drop zone used to get recorded in the new york city offices yeah, um, in studio together like, in person yeah, in the same room more often than you know six times a year but yeah i lived on the upper east side sean eventually did too actually uh, we would take the train down walk through central park go to the office every day and now <laughs> we'd get dressed up. <laughs> now I am wearing a nice Radmore hoodie. I'll get to that in a second. So basically dressed up. But yeah, there were days where I would wear a freaking blazer to the <laughs> Sports Illustrated Golf Magazine offices. My goal was to, to either be the me. least or most dressed up guy and just yeah. really like it'd be either hoodie or yeah. and I, full corporate. I set a pretty good standard for you to try to keep pace with. Yeah, no, that is that's definitely true. You kept the uh, I don't know H and M in business or something in New York City. <laughs> anyway, now coming to you from my home office in Seattle, uh, you're trying to get the Golden Tea machine working. Is that right? Yeah, we're gonna have to spend a little time. I mean, there's just dust. There's a layer of dust collecting everything at this office. So <laughs> I'm gonna get out my dustbuster and get the get the trackball moving. Folks, it seems like a good time of year to be transparent on this Drop Zone show, which is why I'm going to tell you that this is an important time of year for you guys to invest in your Radmore clothing because they have been a tremendous presenting sponsor for this podcast. And look, if they do well, we do well. Everyone does well going forward. Uh, we get good Radmore uh, gear for the upcoming year. We get to make a bunch of cool stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So if you've been considering buying a loved one, a Radmore hoodie, like this beautiful uh, cream fall collection piece that I'm wearing right now. Birch, I believe, is actually the official color. Go do it. Head to radmoregolf.com. Use code DROPZONE at checkout. Not only does that get you 25% off, it also supports this podcast uh, and some exciting stuff that we've got in the pipeline for 2023. So We also don't know how long these deals will last. You never know, Sean. You never know. We promise to vary our ad reads if we get Radmore extended for 2023. How about that? <laughs> yeah, we'll do a little bit, a little more research on our own that time. Um, Sean, what do you want to talk about this week? It's kind of a golf's in a weird spot these days. We've got about eight different tours flying around. Uh, the Champions Tour entered the discourse this week for for a moment, um, which you know meant just an additional thing to chat about, but. I think we should boil it down to kind of the big picture conversations because I think that there are a few things we've been getting asked by our non-golf watching friends that just kind of pop up here and there. And there were a few of those this week, actually. So maybe we start in Japan and then head to Jeddah. What happened to King Abdullah Economic City, by the way? Is that is that just sort of like what what Sugar Grove is to Chicago or... Um, Bolton is to Boston. They just kind of go with Live Jetta because it's the general metropolitan area. You know, you're asking me questions I don't have the answers to. So it's a good way to start the pod. <laughs> um, what's all right? Let's. What do we got? Four essential questions that we'll work through. Yeah, four, maybe five. Really, I just I think it's never been a more confusing time to be a golf fan, and I think if you are. If you're a golf fan in October, you're always kind of checking in maybe once or twice a week. You're not really reading the golf headlines every single day. You're probably focused on your fantasy football team more than you are on Ricky Fowler's, you know, 
Japan status through 18 holes. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I think I just want to set the record straight for people. It's it's like weird. That. Phil Mickelson saying some stuff. Alan Shipnuck saying stuff. Lee Westwood's popping off on Twitter against Eddie Pepperell. John Rahm wants Sergio Garcia on the Ryder Cup team. Sergio himself doesn't really feel like he needs to be on the Ryder Cup team. So <laughs> it is confusing to be a golf fan right now. But your favorite podcast is going to set the record straight on a number of these topics. What is the first one? We're going to start in Japan, Sean. And I'm going to ask you, after this week's crowning of Keegan Bradley, but also signs of resurgence from resurgence from Ricky Fowler, who are we more likely to see on the 2023 U.S. Ryder Cup team in Rome, Ricky Fowler or Keegan Bradley? It's or- obviously obviously Keegan Bradley. And okay. uh, I think what's unfortunate about that is I don't think he's necessarily like a, like a great piece to add to the Ryder Cup team. This is a guy whose career has uh, peaked when long putters, belly putters were legal and they no longer are. And he has spent the last six or seven years battling against that moment of fate. Uh, it's He is a great ball striker. He is a great driver of the golf ball, great with his irons, not so great around the greens, and not so great putting. And I don't really know if that's what you want on your Ryder Cup team. Uh, he's he's now eighth in the Ryder Cup standings. Top six get in automatically. And you know if you're in the top 10, I think, standings-wise, you can pretty much book your way to Rome. And so if Keegan like plays well in 2023, he's going to be in Rome. I know that gets you all hot and bothered and excited, but based off of the last couple of Ryder Cup teams that we are at President's Cup and Ryder Cup teams we've had, we've had like dominant major champion level, like top players in the world dominating. And I just don't think of Keegan Bradley as a top player in the world. So... Yeah. All right. Well, so one process-oriented thing that I did not realize until I was doing a little research for this podcast, we're not even keeping score for the Ryder Cup yet. Um, This tournament did not actually do anything for Keegan Bradley's Ryder Cup chances for next year, except in terms of like his world ranking and and captain's pick status and stuff. But Sean, I learned that uh, for 2022, it's not even the 2022-23 PGA Tour season. It's just all of 2022. Uh, You're only earning points for the Masters, PGA, US Open, and Open, and then half points for the players. Uh, WGC Dell Technologies Championship, which is the match play, and the WGC HSBC Championship, which I believe is not happening. (laughs) So so it's really just a, a majors plus players plus match play situation. And then, interestingly... So yeah, we kick off points for normal PGA Tour events come January. But right now, if you look at the standings, Dustin Johnson is fifth. Um, yeah. It's yeah. Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris, JT, Cameron Young, DJ, Morikawa, Kevin Kisner, Keegan Bradley. And then if you continue down, not that this will be the team, but Patrick Cantlay, Harold Varner in 11th, Brian <laughs> Harmon in 12th. So... That's your Xander? US Ryder Cup team. Sorry, Xander was ninth. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously way too early to truly forecast this stuff, but I just, I think when it, if, if the question is who is more likely to be on the team, Ricky or Keegan, it's obviously Keegan. Ricky has a lot to work on. Um, and then if it has to be Keegan, don't really know if I'm that excited about it. Well, look, Keegan has just been one of the, He's been one of the most underrated golfers, I guess, for the last couple of years because he was one of the guys. He was in that Ryder Cup rotation. He was, you know, part of the Jupe crew. He was a young stud that hung out with MJ and Phil and Ricky. And um, the fact that he's just been plugging along, keeping his card, but not doing that much spectacular stuff has been an interesting part of his career. And I'm acknowledged. I'm acknowledging that I'm extremely biased in this situation. Like there are not that many new England golfers that are on the map. Um, so I've been, you know, I was rooting for Keegan Bradley when I was in college and he was 
like making it on the trying to make it on the web.com tour. So I've always had a soft spot for him. And I know he drives some people crazy with his pre-shot routine, et cetera, et cetera. But no one is uh, more unapologetic about how much they care than Keegan and how much this all means to them. And I love seeing that passion and that emotion and him leaning into it because when guys are willing to put themselves out there like that and not just be like stoic robots, it means that the the failures are more acute. I mean, with Keegan, you've had the story from the Ryder Cup where he like never unpacked his bag. He just like left it, didn't unpack his bag for like three years, maybe never did. But then the highs are that much higher too, knowing that, you know, if he fails, then he he's really stepped on a real rake. But if he succeeds, he just couldn't keep it together on Sunday afternoon in Japan, late Saturday night in Seattle. Uh, Keegan was all weepy. He was emotional. It was super cool. And he's been a very good golfer. He's now, what, number 23 in the world? I just think that um, we're in such a good place with American Ryder Cup golf. And that is not just because we won the last Ryder Cup at home, which we should have won. And it's not because of the President's Cup. It's because the team seems to have like a lot of unity right now. And it's not to say that Keegan would disrupt that, but he's certainly not one of the 10 best players. I don't know. I guess I think we're trending towards a world where maybe he is one of the 10 best players. And I think maybe not one of the 10 best, but one of the 12 best, I guess. If you look at the the fringes of this year's team, I don't I mean, whenever we have a winning U.S. President's Cup or Ryder Cup team, it always feels like, man, this is going to be the exact same team in one year and in two years. And it never is. But I mean, if you look at the President's Cup team, it is true. It feels like a lot of those guys will be back this year. JT, Spieth, yeah. Burns, well, Cantlay, Scheffler, Finau, Xander, Cam Young, Max Homa, Colin Morikawa. Those guys all feel pretty likely to be back. Billy Horschel and Kevin Kisner, yeah. maybe a little bit less so. Yeah. If you want a really good ball striker who's not the greatest putter, you know, what Keegan Bradley is, <laughs> I'm going I'm going with Will Zalatoris instead of Keegan. God, I forgot about him. He basically was on the team. He He's almost in the yeah. lead. In terms of Ryder Cup points, also there's such a, we, there's been such a couple recent success stories of going younger with like the obvious talent than going older on the American team. Uh, think about Scotty Scheffler getting the captain's pick at Whistling Straits. Think about Cameron Young becoming a captain's pick uh, for Quail Hollow, and both those guys coming kind of coming out and, and rather playing pretty solid. It, playing their role, staying quiet, doing their thing. Like he can almost like comes in and is like, yeah, you know, I was on Ryder cups before and it's been a couple of years, but I'm back. Am I a veteran like leader on this team? No. Is Keegan going to listen to JT? I don't know. We've probably, we've probably peeled more of an onion, onion that even. Exists, yeah. Now that Keegan has uh, won a, an event that gives him zero Ryder cup points, uh, Anyway, Keegan trending up. Although, all right, one interesting thing that this shines a light on, the Americans did not have great majors this year. The uh, the U.S. lads, I mean, if you look at the top performing uh, major golfers this season, a bunch of them were, uh, well, I, I actually did this with F1 style performing for, uh, for top 10 finishers. And uh, so if you get, uh, I guess 25 points for a win is how it works all the way down to one point for a 10th place. And then you add them all up, et cetera, et cetera. The results I ended up with were Rory first, Zalatoris second, Scheffler third, Cam Smith fourth, Fitzpatrick fifth. So of those guys, only two are Americans, the top five. And then also had Tommy Fleetwood was weirdly there in eighth, Shane Lowry in 10th, Mito, Hideki. Like there's a lot of non-Americans that are dominating these major championships. Um, or showing consistent results. So the moral of the story is we haven't decided anything with the Ryder Cup because it's all going to come down to actually which Americans play well next year because this year they weren't even that great. Nope. Uh, Ricky Uh, Fowler, though, I guess he's the other half of the question. (laughs) This this is my moment. Um, Shout out to him because it must have been a little tough to see your guy, Joe, your longtime caddy, 
Joe Scovern, who has been with on Ricky's back his entire career, go ahead and thrive with his new man, Tom Kim, at the President's Cup, take over, become golf's new star, and then go on and win his very first start after that um, to rave reviews and just think, man, that's tough. Yeah. Uh, it has to be kind of like a breakup situation, like where you break up and yeah, the, the former partner ends up with someone who's younger and hotter and got everyone attention and yeah. Uh, and Ricky's probably not used to that feeling. Ricky is the he's the no, young Ricky's hot, the guy. hot hot boy. Yeah. So I don't know. All I know is that he didn't take first, and it's not to say that if you're not first, you're last, but. You know, this exact time a year ago, Ricky was leading through 54 holes, CJ mm-hmm. Cup. Yeah. Becomes the bridesmaid once again. This year, leading through 54 holes at the Zozo Championship, doesn't finish it off. It's, of course, a good thing, but it's also just not a great thing. I would argue in this case, though, this is not a this is not a situation where Ricky needed to end a winning drought. Like, this was not a Xander Finau situation. This was a... Uh, hey Ricky, remember that T three that was supposed to revive your career last fall? Yeah, you don't have a top twenty since then. So like, let's kind of get things moving. He Baby finished T six at the Fortinet to start this season uh, with his new caddy. Uh, he talked to Butch Harmon last weekend, which legit seems to gain guys like four strokes per round. Like going to Las Vegas, having a short range session with Butch Harmon is as close to a guarantee as you can get that someone is going to play well the next week. Uh, yeah. yeah. So shout out to Ricky, new clubs, new coach, new caddy, and almost a victory, but not quite. Meet me in January, Ricky. That's when I'll start to take notice. Uh, one other thing that is really confusing people these days, Phil Mickelson. Uh, I think this is almost two in the weeds where you and I are going to take this conversation. But Phil did that. Uh, Phil spoke at the live event last week and was asked, hey, you know, this is your first time in Saudi Arabia since that time in which you said that Saudi Arabia are some scary motherfuckers. And what do you think of that? Have you changed your mind? He was like, well, to be clear, I never did an interview in which I said that. Yeah. I never did an interview with Alan Shipnuck. Right. Uh, All right, well, let's pause and, there for a second because even even with that initial clip, it's a deflection from Phil, right? He's he's not saying, oh, I never said that. That's an important point to all of this. He's not denying that it happened. He just is, he's, he's trying to get lost in the weeds. He's trying to lose us in the weeds and it's fairly effective, I guess. But the fact is, what Phil is saying is not like, oh, I want to address what I said a year ago and how I now feel differently. What he's saying is, I thought that what I was saying to Shipnook was not going to see the light of day. Um, the irony for here for Phil is I think he has, over the course of Liv's season, the first six events, I think he has seen that, yeah, he still has some fan support. Yeah, people still love when he throws the thumbs up everywhere. And people love yelling out gambling picks at him and talking about him hitting bombs and having great calves. He's definitely felt some support. Uh, And I think this was him doubling down on it and being like, you know what, of those supporters, of those people, I know this could make headlines. I'm just going to say it wasn't an interview because some people will take me at my word. And whether or not Phil's word is any good right now, he is going to sway some people by saying that wasn't an interview and pull us into the weeds and distract us from what was actually said, um, which is the polar opposite to what he said in the remarks immediately after this. So yeah, is this Phil doubling down on some of the support that he's gotten? The irony is that it actually, I think, polarizes the audience. Whereas like people who were losing respect for Phil probably lose even more respect for him. Like, okay, dude, you apologized for something. Why are you no longer calling it valid? Why are you saying it wasn't an interview? Why are you trying to beat up on the semantics of this issue rather than just address the issue? He, of course, wasn't going to address the issue of Saudi money 
in Saudi Arabia. But like if we're if it's like a campaign trail kind of thing, like Phil is moving forward with his truth. <laughs> that's that's what he was saying. And um to me, that just tells me we don't have to take this guy at his word in the way we used to. He has earned our respect and he has earned the mic, but we don't have to trust him if this is the half truth world that he wants to exist in. What is the let's both sides this thing for a sec. What is the Phil Mickelson? case like what what from phil's perspective is his point in this shipnick stuff his point was that when you do an interview from his perspective it's a two-sided agreed upon this is an interview i am interviewing you you're being interviewed by me phil's point is that that conversation never took place those borders were never clearly delineated the the stakes of the matter were not clear. Now, I think that that is extremely faulty thinking. Um, and I don't even think this is just the journalist in me or even the friend of Alan Shipnuck in me. But Phil was he completely aware that Shipnuck wanted to talk to him for months and months yeah. and months and months. You're swaying off the Phil's side also, thing here, but that's all right. Well, I'm just, I've made the Phil yeah. side. <laughs> The, the, the Phil side is done now. Phil didn't think it was an interview that Alan could use. Alan was trying to interview Phil for months, and this was the first he ever heard from him. So is the truth directly in the middle of the two of them? Probably not. I think it would lean towards Alan Shipnuck's side. Um, is it 100% in Shipnuck's favor? No. I think I, I think I, uh, there's something respect that you can respect from Phil's point of view where he wanted to get some thoughts off and he wanted to maybe even bounce stuff off of Shipnuck and say like, you know, this guy is writing a book about me. I don't think he knows about this or that, mm. or I don't think he's aware yeah. of like my gripes about, you know, and Phil was trying to make Shipnuck a little bit more aware of the issues at play, but didn't think it was a word for word on the record conversation. Right. Um, and I, th- you know what? We've talked about it at at length. Like I have one personal phone call with Phil Mickelson that was also never made clear on or off the record. <laughs> yeah. And uh you know, if if that's an example of how Phil I think that is an example of how Phil has treated conversations like this in the past. And a lot of people have shown him deference uh because they haven't been writing a biography about him. And because they're so. not Alan Shipnick, I think that what has made him an effective reporter throughout his career is he he is not afraid to uh, trod on the sensibilities of important people. And I think that he ends up getting a lot of people's respect because of that, but he also has stepped on a lot of toes because of that. And yeah, I think from a, an objective perspective, Shipnick did not do anything wrong. From a journalistic perspective, he definitely didn't do anything wrong. But I do also think that a more cautious a more cautious journalist in that case maybe does have the like okay just making sure like we're good on this like you're yeah you're we're both aware here this is what's happening but yeah i mean phil called the guy he's writing a biography about him i think that shipnick's case is very clear and very defensible and i guess all of it gets away from the larger point which is like Phil said something, whether or not he knew it was going into the public domain, he said it because yeah. he thought it and meant it. And there's probably yeah. some value in just he had dirty laundry on its merits anyway. Um, yes. I think that's where the public is taking yeah. it. And I think that that is what Phil, uh, when Phil came out and didn't say anything um, besides an issued statement and a leave of absence right away. That's where he let it exist for a very long time. And suddenly now, six months later, he kind of wants to rewrite the ship. Yeah. It's too late for that, pal. I will say he's he's picking a battle with an unpopular group of people, which is always a good idea. And that is the media. I mean, we, if we are, are part of the media, which I, for better or worse, I guess we are, we're not a super popular group when taken at large it's like it's like saying oh yeah 
I hate Congress. They're so annoying. It's like everyone loves their local <laughs> congressman, but no one likes Congress as an entity. If you want to rage against the media, you have a lot of sympathetic friends out there in the world. And I think that that's where Phil has kind of been taking this. And I don't know. I think in this one, he he got out over his skis a little bit, so to speak. Sure is. Uh, let's move on to the next big question. Does Liv deserve world ranking points? And gosh, if you're rolling your eyes or annoyed at this conversation, it's only because of how muddy these waters have become and how we have, it's become extremely confusing to golf fans about whether or not the world rankings are legit, whether or not Phil Mickelson earns a world ranking, what Phil's ranking should be, and not really Phil as much as Dustin Johnson, Cameron Smith, and how that competes with the guys on the PGA Tour. So the question is posed to you. You can take it any direction you want. Does Liv deserve world ranking points? I think at some point they do. I think it's sort of silly that DJ is falling towards the edge of the top 30 in the world. He's clearly a better golfer than that. Um, I think that it's, I think each side has a pretty compelling point, which, and the, the, I guess the side that says, hold on a minute, you guys don't instantly deserve world ranking points. You just hand selected a bunch of golfers or, you know, golfers that agreed to come with you are now going to play in these limited event closed loop fields. And someone like Chase Kepka, who didn't really do any qualifying for live. He was just selected to be there is suddenly going to benefit massively from playing in this select group of people. It'd be like if, you know, if you gave Chase Kepka a, a free invite to the, uh, hero world challenge every year, suddenly his world ranking would get massively affected. And, you know, that probably points to the, uh, shortcomings yeah, of the world point, rankings Dylan. and the hero world challenge but you know you would get someone like henrik stenson might get invited there but it wouldn't just be sort of a, a random person so anyway they haven't gone through any process yet they have started to they're staging a different type of golf tournament in a different format uh they definitely do not deserve to just instantly say hey give me our give me points now at the same time yeah, it seems a little bit silly that these guys are all playing and they have a strong field and there is no way to measure it against uh, you know, the rest of the world because at some point there should be, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a little bit silly to demand instant world ranking points. If you f- faithful drop zone listener are finding yourself at some soirees, some get-togethers, some dinner parties, and the world ranking points conversation comes up and you hear someone tell you that this is like a very simple <laughs> like topic, yeah. zero complexities, then you need to correct that person because what Dylan just said is the correct answer. Wow. Thanks, of, man. Of course, of course, do live golfers and those events eventually maybe deserve world ranking points? Yes, of course. Um, do they deserve them right this second and or retroactively? I think that answer is a clear no. Um, and this is just a rules following thing. <laughs> like, you, you, you cannot in any scenario just create something out of thin air and expect it to bypass through the entire world of golf and be agreed upon instantaneously. It, it truly has never worked that way. And so because they are popular names, because it's Bryson and Brooks and Cam and DJ and Joaquin and Phil, just because these guys are playing together does yeah. not mean that it's worth anything. Uh, and if you need more context for your soiree, look at the field, 54 holes. They are 18 holes shy of what a majority of world ranking events give out points for. Now, of course, there are weather shortened events that end up at 54 holes. This year's BMW PGA Championship, God save the queen, God rest the queen, uh, was 54 holes. So they got a bunch of world ranking points. What gives there? 
the Hero World Challenge has, for many years, been only 18 players. They've gotten world ranking points in many cases. The WGC Match Play, 64 players, very often, or has for years been given a ton of world ranking points. So these are the things that Bryson, Patrick Reed, they want to use to say, Look, you guys got events like ours. You guys got a, you got people doing what we're doing. As much as that is the case, it is the minority. 75 to 80 to 85, maybe even 90% of PGA Tour events are 72 holes with a 36-hole cut, uh, with a field of 128 or more. All these reasons that make it hard to succeed, all these ways that make it difficult for you to benefit from playing well there, like all of these things are not what live golf is. So do not, like Patrick Reed and Bryson have been doing, say that there are all these events on the PGA Tour just like live. It's just not the case. That's why we're doing this podcast right now. We're literally drawing a line in the sand and saying, stop letting this pretty, uh, complex issue get whittled down to a simple explanation in a live golf press conference because it's just not the case also the guys that left this and this is where i appreciated harold varner's honesty um this was all baked in this was all built in like that's this is what the money was for is overcoming uh is making making sure that it's worth their while for these guys to leave knowing that there's uncertainty about their major championship future, about their PGA tour future, about where they sit in the world ranking. Um, that's why they got paid over the top. And I mean, we've seen some of that come out through these lawsuits is these guys got paid knowing that their futures were uncertain. Now their futures are uncertain. We're going to go through this process of uncertainty. Um, I would say that live trying to, look for loopholes like you know considering just cutting a couple guys from the field to count as a 36 hole cut or their strange takeover of the mina tour which so far has not uh has not come to fruition that stuff just makes it look more more makes it look less legitimate and i guess the point there or the attempt there is like okay if this system isn't going to work for us we're going to make it look silly and we're going to try to essentially break it hastiness really uh i think the best things that live golf has done this entire year have been in moments where it wasn't hasty when they announced their first field it was surprising it had dj and sergio and uh, a handful of guys taylor gooch that you you weren't really sure were gonna be joining live golf that was in a moment of live golf just doing itself and just just like we're going to put our best foot forward we're not even going to care about the pga tour we're not going to mention the pga tour it's only been in moments of hastiness where live has looked extremely weak uh and so i i think the we're a little too far gone uh on this civil war path for live to not look hasty but like ex- just exercising a little bit more patience at this point there's no more live golf events uh, individual stroke play events until late January, as far as I know. Um, so we've got months and months for the decision to be made. I trust it'll be made by then. Ooh, you I do? think we can rely. I, I do. And that's based off of nothing more than at this point, they have put in an application and check it. They check 60% of the boxes or something like that. There needs to be some sort of back and forth communication and then live saying, okay, we're going to change this. We're going to change mm-hmm. that. We're going to insert a cut. Um, January is a, a decent away. Like we've got three more yeah. months to just kind of get it done boys. Um, what's tricky is that Twitter exists and a bunch of players are bitching and moaning on Twitter and you and I have to somehow pay attention to that as part of our job. And uh, so that's why it's super confusing to, to a lot okay, of people. Okay. So, you looked at, at the effects of this a little bit, but my overall feeling actually on this world ranking issue is most of the players are actually on the same page about this. I think when push comes to shove, if these guys are being honest, if the live guys are being honest, they will acknowledge that, yeah, it would be crazy to expect that they would already have world ranking points, a handful of events in when the criteria is shifting, the format is, you know, different. There's this team, whatever hybrid, 
Um, so maybe there's a window where they thought that, yeah, maybe the last couple events should have had them. I think if you ask PGA tour players and people have, and will continue to their case is basically, yeah, it seems like they should eventually get them if they go through the process and actually like follow the rules and they get approved, then yeah. Who are we to stop them from, from getting points? So then there's a gray area about when those points get awarded. And as a result of that gray area, you're going to have the points and the world rankings of these live guys either matter and be significant, or they will continue to plummet. And then even if they do get points, their existing rankings will be so low that the points will be pretty insignificant. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's also in the best interest of the World Golf Ranking, the entity with seven board members, uh, directors. It's in its best interest to award points to good golfers. It really is. Uh, And it is in its best interest to have a, a strong set of rules, regulations that people are supposed to follow. But it, it is in its best interest, one, to avoid a lawsuit. And we know that Liv is very interested in lawsuits, and particularly some of its constituents are interested in them. Um, and it's also like for popular uh, demand for for holding a ranking within the game. It's important. It's extremely important. And now that people like Rory and Rom and, you know, people on every side are basically saying like, yeah, look, DJ's playing good golf, man. He should be ranked pretty high. The world golf ranking needs to address that. So it will, I'm, I'm confident it will, but I'm not, uh, I have a little more patience than maybe the players that are. I'm curious how different the skill set is for winning a live event versus a, a, a 72 hole PGA tour stroke play event, because it definitely seems easier to get it across the line when you're playing um, just on a third day and when you're playing in a shotgun start and every, everything's kind of happening at once, there is a really mm-hmm. cool, unique thing about sleeping on the lead, about being the last guy on the range, about coming down the stretch in on the final, uh, in the final round on a Sunday as that pressure mounts that I think that that's a difficult thing to to way of okay does that have to be the way that tournament golf is played i don't know not necessarily but it, it is a slightly different skill yeah i think the live argument would be like hey man we we insert plenty of chaos everyone starts at the same time there could be as many as four people with the same amount of holes left as you playing at the exact same time playing different holes than you uh it, it creates a shootout and that is unnerving in the same way sleeping on a lead is unnerving so there's a little devil's advocate for you. Um, Live does not strike me as an organization, even though it's extremely easy to adjust. They don't want to get away from a 54 hole thing. Right. <laughs> LIV <laughs> stands for 54, both the number of strokes that it would take for you to play the perfect round of golf, but also the number of holes that their tournaments have players what? play. So. What strikes me about this is that live golfers performance in major championships is going to be increasingly important because unless they keep picking off top players and as of right now, I don't know that there are, uh, you know, any of the top guys in the world that are imminent that will join live for 2023. It's going to be a closed loop. Live will exist on its own. And I'm trying to think of an equivalent. It's like, you know, you only get exposure to, a certain sport at the Olympics. And so if you are wondering how the Jamaican bobsled team is, that's their chance to prove it every four years when you do get that exposure. Um, and otherwise there's not really going to be a chance to, to compare themselves against the best in the world. It's Horrible like the champions league. I know, I know you're still a, you're still a, you know, a growing soccer European football fan, but the best players or the best teams from leagues all over the world play in the Champions League, and they only yes. meet in the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, if you're not good enough to play in the Champions League, then Everton does not face off against Real Madrid. And I don't know if that's a shame as much uh, because we're so used to it in the golf world, but we'll see. We are again, we're so young in this dumb game we are currently playing. <laughs> 
the the PGA Tour versus Live lawsuit trial is still 14 months away, and we are only nine months removed from Phil Mickelson opening his or having his comments shared with the world, becoming international news. So, we, again, we're very young in this thing. Uh, it accelerates at times, doesn't accelerate at others. I think that's a good way of introing our final question, Dylan, which is just. What is the next step in the Civil War? Uh, it can mean a lot of different things. I think the question exists because there are uh, there are question marks out there about TV deal, mm-hmm. about the Live Golf schedule, about this lawsuit. And um, I actually think that's great for Live. The number of questions we had for them in May was a lot. <laughs> we didn't know what the events were going to look like. We don't know who's going to be playing in them. We didn't know if the field was going to change week to week. We didn't know if the draft was going to be maintained. Um, the more questions that exist for live creates a level of demand for information and demand for news and demand for headlines. They've done such a good job this year at staying relevant, announcing new players every couple of weeks, announcing you know a team format and how uh, new courses they're going to be going to and stuff like that. Staying in the news is going to become important for Liv because next week is their last week of the year. Their theoretical off season in which, you know, it's a thing that all the players at Liv have said that they wanted was an off season. It's about to hit. So it'll kind of become corporate office time, corporate announcement time for Liv Golf more so than like Liv putting on events. And that's how they stay relevant. Um, Miami is big uh, as a first step. I think you you and I have talked about how Liv was probably always going to own October after the PGA Tour bid farewell this summer and then had the President's Cup. And Liv had a bunch of events in October. But so far, I would say, Sean, it hasn't actually really owned October that much. I think the NFL has proven that it is owning October. Um so this Miami event, maybe that will change. Miami seems like a, a fairly good fit for Live. There's uh, obviously a cozy Live um, and Trump connection, so having it at his course will be kind of a natural fit. Um, my, Live Miami is definitely going to be a test case for for the entire series. They've got Snoop Dogg and Nelly and. Uh, the whole thing. But I think what's next for Live versus the PGA Tour is essentially Live leaving the nest. Live not being able to say, okay, we're in beta mode, you know, we're just testing shit out and saying, all right, this is our this is actually our format. This is what our uniforms look like. This is how our guys are gonna travel. This is what the product looks like. This is where it's broadcast. There was talk of, you know, getting slots on FS1, but then the the uh, head of Fox's right stuff was casting some of that in doubt. So that is definitely a curiosity. Um, Liv putting out its official product, actually putting it on the table and saying, all right, here is what it is. And then seeing people's reaction. That's the next step. I think that they're going to announce a schedule in November, a schedule for 14 events for 2023 i think they're going to be some very interesting talking points about like literally events the week prior to major Mm -hmm. championships events the week uh uh after major championships across the world in australia at the end of april um it will be it will be a more impressive schedule in some ways than the pj tour schedule because of the places that it will go that it will theoretically take some of the best players in the world. Um, how great is it on paper? I don't think it's that great. <laughs> like, how, like just a schedule on paper. It doesn't mean that much of a, a of a deal. Like, find out what it do, what it means when Cam Smith goes back to Victoria, Australia, and wins and beats DJ down there. Um, does that mean anything? I, I think until like you said, live leaves its nest. And then like at some point that's not even that interesting. You don't know if it's going to fly. You don't get you don't know if it can fly yeah. until it gets pushed out of the nest. But yeah, yeah, I think it's Well, did it fly this weekend? Well, to your point, once it's <laughs> once it's out of the news cycle for just the fact of wow, this thing exists now and it's just 
okay, now it's actually existing. And it's not like, oh, here's the new story about the AFL, which is going to exist in the, what was it? What was it? No, the AAF, whatever that, whatever that NFL breakaway league was a couple summers ago. It's mostly, that thing was mostly in the news because it was like, yo, there's this weird new league happening and there's, you know, Garrett Gilbert is going to play quarterback and, um, that stuff drew wow, some attention. It's cut. like, oh, is Johnny football going to play in this thing? But then once you get to the actual thing, okay, is the product good enough that people are going to watch it? TBD. I don't know. The PGA Tour no. uh, is is seeding the fall to some extent to the NFL. We've been calling for that for a long time. Uh, we do not think the PGA Tour is perfect I think that that just, I guess, bears repeating if you're a new listener to the show. That has never been the case. We've actually have called for, I would say, a, a slightly more worldwide big time schedule for the PGA Tour to focus on on its big events and then maybe create some new ones that make it all feel really premium and exciting when the best golfers are getting together. They have listened to the drop zone and maybe, maybe some <laughs> other factors in the world of golf and they're now doing something closer to that. But I don't know, Sean. Exciting times ahead. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of the live golfers are going to be at the Masters. There's there's a good crop how of many them. Are, how many live golfers will be? A bunch of them won the Masters. Live has done quite <laughs> yes. well in the Masters winning golfer department. Yeah. Bubba Watson will be there. Patrick Reed will be there. Sergio. Charles. DJ. Phil. Charles. Um, and then the top. 50 players in the world golf ranking typically go to Neiman. the masters. They get invited. So Neiman, Abe answer will be there. Um, Kevin Na has a chance to hold on for that invite. Harold Varner could play his way slightly into that invite. Um, Brooks Kepka will be there. Um, I'm trying to think of Bryson DeChambeau will definitely be there. Yeah. There's a, that's there's a, a number sizable of, contingent for sure. And so um, this will move on through the masters. Uh, the, who's better type of like what, what product is better. All this stuff is going to exist. Um, lawsuit discovery will carry on through March. It's probably not as interesting to other people as it is to us, but not until it happens. And then it will be awfully interesting to a lot of people. I would say, yeah, there's a separate lawsuit being, uh, waged in the UK that actually will take place in February. I don't know if those precedents matter for the, you know, district court of Northern California, but they will decide whether or not live golfers can compete on the European tour. And so suddenly you'll just have a lot more relevancy for guys over there, um, getting Ryder cup points and, um, existing on another tour and drawing away from the PGA tour in that sense. So, um, it's chaotic. It's certainly chaotic. Um, I think in an invigorating way until it's not, until it gets old, until the field at the Genesis Invitational somehow worse because Cam Smith isn't there and DJ is not defending there. Champion and Neiman, Joaquin the defending champion Joaquin is not there. Is not yeah. there. Abe answer. Um, I, I've explained it to people as like, Liv has 20 good golfers and they sure don't have 40. And I don't even think they have 30, but they've got 20, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe even just 15. And those 15 certainly matter. And those are the 15 that are going to help them earn world ranking points and relevancy. And when Brooks Kepka wins again next spring, because he's feeling good and playing good, we're going to have to talk to, about him as a master's contender. Uh, we, the, the intersections will exist more next year. And I think they'll even be more fun next year. So it will be exciting. God, I mean, that master's is going to be, uh, if last year was, was massive for the scrutiny around, oh, is Tiger Woods going to play? Is he going to come back from his accident and show the flag at the Masters? This year, all these guys colliding for the first time in months, that's going to be a scene. Well, if one of those dudes wins it, I swear, chaos. One thing, Sean, that doesn't seem to be on the horizon is cooperation, collaboration between Liv and the PGA Tour with ongoing litigation. Um, yeah. It seems like that ship has at least sailed for now. Maybe it's going to turn around and sail on back, but it's funny. I think that there's a version of um, 
I mean, that that Saudi money flowing into the game within the existing ecosystem that we essentially have have seen this past weekend in New York uh, with the LET, you know, which has a relationship with the LPGA, which is essentially as close to uh, female live golf as exists. And you saw Lexi Thompson win. You saw her say, look, it's it's great that this Saudi money is coming into the game of golf and the women's game. Like there is a there's a very explicit connection. The Aramco series is it's the same people. It's the public investment fund. It is the only difference is that it's not upending the existing infrastructure. It's sort of just supplemental to it. Not yet. And yeah. Yeah. Not so far. Yet. In its in its current existence, and it would it would have been interesting, I guess, if uh, the PIF had had gone that way in the men's game. And I think there were reasons that it was unable to, but also they had bigger visions, and they are executing on this bigger vision. And vision, they've had a lot of success in Vision Twenty Thirty. Vision Twenty Thirty. We are. It's still just Twenty Twenty Two. So who knows by then? All right. I think we've probably gone on long enough for the uh, the people who don't even want to talk about live anymore. And uh, we have to be respectful to them. A lot of live talk. I'm glad we got some Keegan Bradley talk in there to kind of... We've hit our quota for the year. <laughs> I'm going on vacation, Sean, so I won't even be here next week. Yeah, hopefully people... No uh, Keegan talk. ...appreciated all of Dylan take, Dylan's takes for now because you're not going to get... Not going to get them for a couple weeks. Sean's going to either be flying solo or invite someone on. Uh, certainly won't be Luke Curtinine, a guy we've had on in the past. He's he's as gone as Dylan is for the next couple weeks. Oh, geez. He's speaking of sailing for open waters. We miss you, Luke. <laughs> what a cryptic way to end the podcast. <laughs> Go buy some Radmore stuff. We'll see you next week. <laughs>